All right. We've had a, hey, we've had the privilege these last few weeks to really just, really just look at this, this concept, um, this, this idea of the true cost of living. Uh, it's been exciting and it's been tough. <laughs> it's been challenging. My wife and I have had many a conversation. I don't know if, you know, you're the, you're the same way, but sometimes, I mean, hey, I might be, I might be sitting and, and, and crafting these things and figuring this out and praying over this, but a lot of times what I, what I talk about is just what God is, what God is sharing with, with me and, and, and through the Word, and, and it's hard for me to receive. So it's hard for me to receive, and I'm the, I'm the one that's writing these things, right? And I'm looking at it going, this is tough. This is really difficult, Lord. I can imagine for, for you and, and, and just hearing these things and, and looking at the true cost of living, you're, you're, probably, you're probably being challenged, just like me, just like many of us. And I've had some really good conversations with a lot of you on that. And hopefully it's not just something that, that we look at. We live in a, 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 an age where it's, we get bombarded, don't we? With just messages and ideas and just constant things. I mean, the number one selling books in bookstores is self-help books. Because it's so easy just to go buy something, read it, go, okay, I need to change, and then we just move on. You know, what do I need? What do I need? Um, and very much so, it, it's easy to kind of come in and, and, and hear a sermon and go, that's great, and then just walk away. And then forget that, that God, God wants us to follow him. He doesn't, he doesn't want uh, fans, quote-unquote. He doesn't want to fill crowd, stadiums with crowds that cheer him on. He wants people down on the field playing the game. We're, you know, sweating, putting their all, and just going right after the Savior. Amen? So that, that's what we want to do here at the mission. We're, we're, not, about, um, we're, we're not about just uh, sitting, you know, and I, I, we honestly and firmly believe that the gift of uh, buttocks does not exist, exist in the church. We believe that, uh, that God has given us all the gift to get up and, uh, and do something and be on mission here at the mission. So we're really excited about this whole thing. And we've been looking at, you know, the lies that, uh, that, um, that, that happens in our culture because of our wealth. Um, one of the hardest things that we've had to look at is that we are wealthy. And many of you have come to this understanding. I mean, the fact is 4% of the U.S., is, 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 um, actually, I'm sorry, the, the U.S., 100% of the U.S. is the 4% of the world in wealth. We own most of the stuff. We have the income that 96% of the rest of the world will never get to. And, and it's hard to get that. It's hard to understand. In fact, majority of us who, who earn over $45,000 a year as a family unit are in the top 1% of the entire world. Isn't that weird to think of? Wow, I make over $45,000 a year, you might be saying to yourself. With my family, my wife and I, we make over $45,000 a year. By the way, the average income in the 92374 district um, is, if you live in the Redlands, the average income is $68,000 a year per family. And if you're in the 92373, it is $89,000 a year, average income family. And so when you think about it, it's almost double the 1%. $45,000 a year. It's wild to think about that, right? Because many of us fit in that category. And we look at ourselves and we go, I'm not rich. <laughs> I'm not wealthy. I wouldn't consider myself the top 1%. And yet we are. And so when we come to this passage in 1 Timothy that we've been looking at, we, we, we realize that, that we really just don't get the true cost of living. We just don't. I don't. It's hard to admit that. 
the last thing we want to do is come to a place where we're like, wow, I'm wrong. Anybody like to go around just saying, I'm wrong. I don't get things. <laughs> I mean, men do this, right? You're going to drive around in circles for 18 hours because you don't want to admit that you're lost, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. And women, you're no better, so don't laugh. There's things you do too. When I, I've lived with a woman for 16 years now, and they don't like to admit they're wrong either. It's not something we enjoy, but the truth is we allow the side effects of wealth to creep in. We, we, can, we can accept an entitlement mentality instead of a humility that we need to, to have. We have entitlement as opposed to humility. We deal with worry and fear and hopelessness, all these side effects, because we, at the end of the day, there's a tendency when we have a lot to trust in that instead of the one that gives us all that. And, and, and that's what we've really been looking at. And so I hope, as you've been really just hearing these messages and, and, and jumping into the Word of God here, that you would stop putting your hope in riches and start putting your hope in the one who lavishly gives us riches. Um, to say, not my will, not my way, not my kingdom, but your will, your way, your kingdom. <coughs> That's the hardest thing for us to do, especially in the areas of finance and stuff. Amen? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Lord, you can, you can have my Sunday, but don't take that. <laughs> right? So in the book of uh, 1 Timothy, as we've been going through, as we've just been truly looking at this and the side effects and just figuring this out. And last week, that was our take-home truth, was the true cost of living means we don't trust in riches, but only... Or, or, but the one who richly provides. Again, I'll say it. The true cost of living means we don't trust in riches, but the one who richly provides. And today, see, it's easy to say that, but how do we do that? How do we trust in the one who gives riches as opposed to trusting our riches? How, how do we trust in God instead of our pantry that's full of food? How, how do we trust in God instead of our own work day of, of working hard and trying to provide for our family? How do we trust in God instead of our IRA or trusting God instead of our retirement fund or trusting God instead of, you get what I'm saying? How, how do we do that? Because it's easy to say, amen? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's easy to say something and it's harder to follow and do it. And maybe you're like me. You have good intentions. <laughs> you say things, but actually doing it is a whole other thing. And we live in that era today where we, we can kind of say things, but then we get away with never doing it. And we can bash other people for that. Or we can kind of turn the lens around and look at ourselves and see how we as followers of Christ can fall into that. And so today in the take-home truth, it's really simple because Paul really lines it out. I mean, he, he sets it up and he, and he deals it out in such a way that it's hard to miss of how we can truly trust God instead of wealth and stuff. And this is the take-home truth today. The true cost of living means we decide today to do more and give more and share from our abundance with those in need. You see, we actually need to decide to do with our stuff what God wants us to do and to share what we have with those that don't. Does that make sense? Hopefully, as we look this out, you're going to really see some stuff. So I'd like to invite you to stand up as we read God's Word. And we're going to again look at the passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. So please follow along with me here. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. All right, you may be seated. Notice the Apostle Paul says, command them. Anybody like to be commanded? <laughs> no, it's not something we line up for. You know, we have, we have the biggest industry in it today is the service industry. And the last thing we want to be is commanded. We want to command others. You know, the, the, the funniest thing is uh, I, knew, I knew somebody who worked at Chick-fil-A. And if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, they really started this whole thing of, how may I serve you? It's my pleasure. You know, they're so nice to you when you get stuff at Chick-fil-A, right? They're, they're so good. And they're told they need to say these exact things because they want you to feel so good about your experience. You know what I started noticing? They've been doing this for years, by the way. Now, Carl's Jr. is starting to do that. Everyone else is starting to do that, right? I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's, it's becoming a big thing now. I mean, I'm at Carl's Jr., you know, just getting a burger. It's my pleasure to serve you. Is it? Really? Man. Well, it's my pleasure to be served, right? You know what I mean? It's so easy, but that's just, the, we want that, you know? And here's Paul going complete against that. And he says, command those who are rich. Command those who are in the place of, of having to be generous and to give and to humble themselves. It's so crazy. The, the, the interesting word here is agatha ageo. It's a big long word. It's, you could say that with me. Agatha ageo. You guys got that? In the Greek, it's a fun word. Agatha ageo. And, and it's an interesting word because this word is a really big word, but basically just it's, it comes down to just living well. Living well. Being generous. Um, I mean, if, if we were to break it down, it's act justly, to do right things. Basically, living with a purpose. Everything you have, your calendar, your day, your, your stuff, everything in it, what, are you going to live with purpose with it? And, and, and the Apostle Paul says, command those that have these things to live with purpose. I love that. Um, one of the things that's interesting, some of you... Um, you have this crazy thing that's kind of new since the beginning of time. You have two days of which you do not work. How many of you are blessed to have two days? Now, now I'm not saying you, 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 you don't work at home. I'm just talking about your job, you get two days off, quote-unquote. You know, that's the norm for Americans. That's the average to have two days. Some of you, you're working six days a week. And that's tough. And it's very easy to be like, man, six days a week, that's hard. But you work those six days so you can get that one day off. 96% of the world works seven days a week. And it's not so they can have abundance. It's just so they could eat. They don't have a pantry. They have to work. Otherwise, they don't eat that day. That's 96% of the world. How many of us have vacations? I've got one coming up soon and I'm really excited. I have because my kids aren't coming. That's the main reason. One of my kids are here. They know we love them. But you know, when you've been married 16 years and you've got junior hires and high schoolers, you, you know what I'm talking about. Can I get an amen? Let's just get away for a little bit. Yeah, super excited. 
but a vacation, right? I mean, like, like to me, it's like, man, I'm, how many of us have been there? I, I need a vacation. You'll never hear that in 96% of the world because they don't get them. There's no such thing as a vacation because if you don't work, you don't eat. And yet here we are living well, right? I was dealing with a homeless person the other day and I, I, I gave her my number and I said, if you're able to, oh yeah, I can call you, I have a cell phone. Here's a homeless person living on the streets and they've got a cell phone. <laughs> I mean, that's only in America, right? I remember working in the ghettos of Watts down by this place called Nederson and it's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's the ghetto. It is the ghetto. Block homes, thousands of people living on one part of the street, but every single one of those homes had a satellite and the cars outside, I was coveting. <laughs> I looked at all, the whole street was lined with BMWs and Mercedes and, I mean, you name it, the rims alone were worth more than my van at the time. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not trying to knock, the, the, but I'm just like, man, our poor here drive better and nicer than most anybody in the world. I mean, there's a there, there's an idea that we have to get across here is that we have so that we can now live with purpose, not just so we can live well for ourselves. That's the difference. That's the hard part that, that, that God says and of, of what he came to show us. Paul says it. He goes on to say, be rich in good deeds. If you're taking notes, just follow along with me here. See, the true cost of living means we decide today to be rich in good deeds. We, we just have to decide today to be, to be good and rich, or to be rich in good deeds. The, the, the truth is we have so much more than the average person in the world. We just do. We need to, we need to realize that. Admit it. If, if you work 60 hours a week and you get eight hours of sleep a night, that still leaves you with 52 hours a week. Staggering. I mean, some of you are like, I've been working 60 hours and I'm wiped out. I've been there, done that. I think this last couple, this last month has been like that for me. And yet I look at the, the facts right before me, 52 hours. What am I doing with those 52 hours? You know? What am I doing with that? I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to think. But See, the truth is that we fill our schedules and our days with many things that take our time, such as TV, Facebook, sports, hobbies, etc. And God is commanding us, be rich in good deeds, live well, live on purpose. People have a hard time committing to do good on a regular basis because of our busy schedules. That's what I would, just, I would say. Because I, I, I'm there. And again, this is why the service industry is so big. Because, because they, they know that you have that spare little bit of something. They know that you have that time. So come and, and do this. Pay for this. Our extra time gets consumed with catching up on our favorite TV shows or filling our free time with hobbies or hanging with our friends as much as possible. Now again, these things aren't bad. I, I mean, I'm not here to say don't watch TV. I watch TV. I have to tell myself not to watch TV. Uh, don't go out and, uh, um, you know, go, go do hobbies. Don't go fishing. Don't, you know, go... Th- no, I'm not saying that. And some of you should get out and walk away if I am. Because <laughs> I would walk away. No, God is not opposed to our hobbies. God is not opposed to us enjoying life. But, but I guess the question is, in, in your life, with your spare time, are, are you living... For the Lord with it. I mean, 
how many kids have never fished and never will and they're just struggling to get by. They don't have dads but would love to have somebody fish with them. How, how many older people at the end of their life have nobody and would love to watch TV with you? <laughs> do, do you get what I'm saying? How many of us have that little bit of extra in our, in our wallet and instead of getting that thing we really want, typically it's a Starbucks, <laughs> We give it to somebody that really needs it. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what the word is really sharing with us. To make a decision now, today, to be rich in good deeds. To get past our busy schedules. This is why here at the mission, we try to to give as many service opportunities as possible. I mean, not everything. Because believe me, there is nothing but stuff out there that we can continue to to open up our our wallets and our lives to. So we're trying to be very purposeful here. And and, and I appreciate those that have come to me and said, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And there's many things that we can do. So right now, we're just trying to do what we can do. I can't wait. Thanksgiving, it's an opportunity. There's so many families here right in our front, front, at our front door that don't have turkeys, don't have the money for turkeys, don't have the money to get that stuffing. And, and what we're trying to say is, hey, let's partner with the Blessing Center and give out a turkey. One turkey. And if you're like me, you're like, you know what, I'm, I can probably do that. I can't give two, but I can give one. Awesome. That's what the Apostle Paul here is talking about. That's why we want to do that. We're also partnering with them for Christmas. Why? Because there are kids that will not get toys unless someone gets them a toy. Because their families can't. So what are we going to do? Living on purpose. That's why we as a church want to give this. Provide this. The true cost of living means we also give Generously. And that's why Apostle Paul says this. He says, and to be generous and willing to share. Both of these Greek terms, by the way, are, are it, it's like using two different words that mean the same thing. Why is the Apostle Paul so redundant? <laughs> why does he repeat himself? Well, because in the ancient Middle East there at that time, in, in the Greek mindset and in the, the, the Hebrew mindset, if you repeated yourself, it's because you meant it. Because you really had something to say. This is why Jesus said, truly, truly, truly. Jesus, just say it once, I get you. No, 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 I want you to really get it. Truly, truly, truly. He repeats himself. And so the Apostle Paul here uses the same words because there's an important emphasis. It means that we are to be lavish in our love and give in our abundance generously. See, the craziest truth I found out as, I, as I've really been researching this, and this blew my mind, and yet I'm guilty of it, the more money people get, the wealthier they become, the less they give. Isn't that wild? And we just had Halloween, right? When I was a kid, I grew up kind of in Glendora half my life. I don't know if you've ever been to Glendora. It's about 60 miles that way. Um, there's this place called Morgan Ranch. I mean, right there, right? Morgan Ranch. It's not Plywood Acres, okay? You know what I'm saying? This is, this is Morgan Ranch. You wanted to live there. Everybody wanted to live there. I mean, the houses are bigger than the whole block, right? And we, as kids, we thought, man, that's where we're going for Halloween. Is all them rich people? I hear they're giving out just bags of candy. I have never been skunked so bad in Halloween than when I did go into Morgan Ranch. A bunch of cheapskates. 
Are you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the truth is that I got better candy in the poorer areas than I did in the richer areas. And that's the statistical fact. Poor people give more than rich people. Generally speaking, rich people are not generous people. They give big dollars, but not big percentages. This is an important word. See, in terms of percentages, the richer that that someone is, the less they actually give. This floored me. Because maybe you, like me, have played that game. You know what, Lord? Now, don't raise your hand if this is you, because I don't want to embarrass you. I'm sure this is the only... I'm the only one that's ever done this. I know for a fact. I mean, everyone else is so much better than me, that's for sure. Because I've done this. I've said, you know what, Lord? If I get that raise, ooh, boy, I will give more. If you give me that raise, Lord, Lord, if I win the lottery, I'll give so much. Lord, if you give me that house, I'll open the doors to anybody and everybody. Because because it's not my house, it's your house. But this is the truth. I get the raise and get what happens. Big screen. Big old couch. I'm eating steak every day. Where'd my money go? And at the end of the month, oh, 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 yeah, Lord. Oh, here, here you go. <laughs> My little bit. Or, Lord, I got the house, but if I invite those, that youth group in, oh, man, they're going to trash it. And then my value goes down, and then this and that. Can we just maybe um, talk about that maybe next year? If I, if house goes up in value. You know, you get what I'm saying? We do this, don't we? We play these games. Because the more we get, the less we want to give. We forget that we're called to give generously wherever we are at. That's why percentage is what counts. I'm convicted on this. But we're not in, we're not in lonely company here. There, there's a story in Mark 12 that I really love. Jesus and his, and his disciples, his peeps, you know, they're hanging out at the temple. And the temple was a big deal back then. And you had all these people come in and, and there was a time in the temple where, where there was a big box and this box was like the offering box and it's what you gave the temple. And, and, and Jesus talks about there was all these rich people that were coming in and, and, and they were, well, let me read it. It's, it's right here in Mark 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. So you can, you can imagine, you know, here, here's where the offerings are being put and Jesus and his crew are just kind of sitting over here, right? They're just kind of sitting and they're looking at, the, at, at where the offerings are and as people are coming in and they're just watching. They're just watching. They're looking. Well, mainly Jesus. I'm sure the disciples are like, what's he doing this time? Because <laughs> if I was hanging with Jesus, I'd be like, what, what is Jesus doing? He's, I, I have no idea, but I'm going to watch him. And so he's watching as the crowd is putting their money into the temple treasury. And it says this, many rich people threw in large amounts. Now the interesting thing about that is in that time, when, when, whenever there was a large amount being put into the offering, there was a lot of fanfare that would go along with that. There was a, in fact, it was said that a lot of times what would happen is people would trumpets. So you can imagine, here comes a rich guy in purple, because all rich people wore purple at that time, and, and, and he would throw in maybe a bag of like, you know, 200 gold coins or something. I mean, something ridiculous. He throws it in there, and all of a sudden, you know, the pipers pipe up, and the trumpeters, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, and everyone's like, whoa, yeah! That's what would happen. I mean, imagine. So we don't get caught up in that, do we? Not at all. We're so much better than those guys. 
This is what floors me. They're watching this. Jesus doesn't say a word. Then this poor widow. It's interesting because, again, we have redundancy for a reason. Poor widow. Widows were poor. There's no rich widows at the time. If you were a widow, you were poor. Literally, that word means in rags. A homeless person, basically, with nothing. Stumbles in and drops in two mites. It was common in that day. In fact, it was a known rabbinical law that if you were going to give, you had to give a minimum amount. You, you ever hate that? When you go in and you go, hey, can I use the restroom? You've got to buy something, man. Oh, come on. I just want to use your restroom. Nope, you've got a minimum you've got to pay. Or when you use your credit card or something, you've got to buy something. You've got to, do, you know, you've got to pay a minimum amount. That's the way it was in the temple. That's not God's law. That was the temple law. And guess what that minimum was two mites two mites represented six minutes of an hourly wage a common average hourly wage six minutes that's all she had and she drops it in that's all she gave and I love this as as Jesus is sitting and watching he calls his disciples to him and says truly I tell you this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others by the way there's no trumpet sounding nobody's saying anything for for the poor widow with her two two bits her last dollar that's the understanding of it he says they the others gave out of their wealth but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on this is so heartening to me have you ever felt like i don't give enough <laughs> who does jesus say is the biggest giver the one that's dropping 200 gold coins no the one that drops in less than a dollar which says something it means that our giving is not about how much it's about how it doesn't mean how much it means how we give Jesus was looking at her heart Jesus's principle here shows that the gift's value is determined by the spirit not by the amount by the spirit of how it's given Paul echoes this later, by the way, in the book of Corinthians when he says, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't say he loves a big giver. He says he loves a cheerful giver. See, Jesus was looking at the heart. And this says something super important. Please understand this. God does not need your money, but he wants you in a place where you don't need your money. Let me say that again. God doesn't need your money, but he wants you to follow him in such a way where you don't need your money. He wants you to need him more than your money. That's why percentage is a big deal here. Because she gives, in her percentage, she's giving where it hurts. There's a a story in 2 Samuel, I'm not going to go into details, but basically David pays for something and he pays in such a way where it, it hurts. It's hard. I mean, he, he pays a very good value for it. And he basically says, how can I give to God something that costs me nothing? He got that percentage matters. This is why if we're really going to give generously, we, we, we have to get that idea of percentage. The widow challenges the mindset. 
that says, I'll give when I have more. Because the widow virtually had nothing, yet was a giver. The truth is that whenever we give sacrificially to God, He sees it and is pleased. See, this is what typically happens with our giving. We give spontaneously. We give out of emotion. Um, the, uh, the third parties... The, 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 like, you know, the Red Cross, uh, Compassion, World Vision, I mean, you name it, all the, they really value and bank on your spontaneous giving. America's known for it. There's a hurricane somewhere, there's something. America steps up typically and gives more than anybody. Very generous. Because they give emotionally. See, we have people here in this temple situation And they're giving emotionally. And that doesn't do Jesus, doesn't do anything to him. But when the widow comes up and gives, not emotionally, but sacrificially because her heart, and she is saying, I trust God with everything I have. That's when God takes notice. See, when we give emotionally or spontaneously, you know what happens? We feel good, don't we? I have to admit, when they go to Vons or something and they say, you want to donate to this and this? Sure, I'll put a dollar to that. I walk away feeling a little bit better. (laughs) I just do. Because it's spontaneous and stuff. And it's easy. But when our giving becomes more spontaneous than planned, we miss following Jesus daily. See, giving is a heart issue, not a money issue. When Paul spoke about the legendary giving of the Macedonian church, he urged the Corinthian church to prove their love like the Macedonians proved theirs. If you look at the book of 2 Corinthians, I love this. This, this is so awesome what he says. He says, but since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. I mean, here's a church that's just a loving church. They're just doing what God's called them to do. Paul Paul wants him to jump in on something that's so much more important. He says this, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. See that you are also generous. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Wow. Then he takes it a step further about what is the highest standard of love He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for what? Your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, he doesn't link it with, because the church needs money. He doesn't link it with, because we got missionary things, or because of, you know, it's good to give, or because of this. No, he doesn't link it to anything but the simple fact of, look at our Father. Look at Jesus. Look what he did. Now live as he did. Wow. Jesus had everything. And he gave it up. Why? So that we might have it. Aren't you glad he didn't do it spontaneously? (laughs) See, we know from the word of God that he did it from a plan that God had had since the beginning of time. A plan to have you a part of his family. The true cost of living means we also give generously. We decide to do it. So really quickly, the only way, I just want to point this out, 
The only way to take these instructions seriously is to pre-decide and to make a commitment. We need to pre-decide. We need to make a commitment. This isn't something we do spontaneously. We need to pick a percentage of money and and a slice of time and pre-commit to it. Let me give you some sad statistics. First and foremost, the average American Christian tithes a sad amount. 10 to 25%, less than 75% of the church actually tithes regularly. Only 5% of the entire U.S., 340 million people, Only 5% of the U.S. tithes was 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians are only giving at 2.5%. You know the Great Depression? Christians gave 3.3%. And we have like quadruple the amount of income that they did. Which made me think, what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, 10% of what the Bible talks about? Let me, let me give you some staggering. Now, this is just people that say, I am a follower of Christ. If all the followers of Christ said, I am going to give 10%, what would happen? A hundred, there would be an additional 165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. Here's just a few things the church could do with that kind of money. 25 billion could relieve all hunger in the world. Starvation and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. In five years, we can end world hunger and preventative diseases. Twelve billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. Everybody could read in five years. Fifteen billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, I'm sorry, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. One billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. Every missionary would be funded. 100 to 110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry in every local church. That floors me, people. You know what that says? That says if followers of Jesus just made a commitment to give from their first fruits and give what God has told them is, is a pleasure to give, there would be no more hungry kids. There would be no more people dying. One out of three kids in Burkina Faso die because they don't have clean clean water. One out of three! No more. That wouldn't happen. And you know what? You know what the news would say in five years? You know what the world would say? Probably nothing. their, Their mouths would be open and they would say, we don't understand it. There must be a God. Because look, how Christians love. We as a church could fully fund my father's house seeing that pregnant women and girls are shown the love of Jesus. Deaf prostitutes in Thailand are ministered to as our missionary Thule talked about last time he was here. We could stop the one out of three kids dying as I said it with the Hillstads in Burkina Faso. See, the true cost of living means we pre-decide and make a commitment. See, my hope is that you don't just, I don't, I, I, we, as a church, we don't want spontaneous giving. And please, if you're new here, don't give. Don't give. We're just, this is the fact that we're looking at, you know what, with members, we're saying, you know what, we can make a huge difference in this world if people would follow and trust God. And you know where the rubber meets the road? It's usually in our pocketbook.
Can I just say this is super hard? I have to do this. No one makes me tithe. And I'm not up here to tell you, wow, I'm a great tither. Because I give a little, I give my percentage, but I feel like God is saying, you know what? Are you really trusting me with your money? You know what, God? Why don't you stop? (laughs) Why don't you be quiet? That's what I like to say. But can I say to my brothers and sisters here, my wife and I have had some tough discussions. (laughs) Because the truth is, when it comes to what I've got, I don't want to share. I'm not generous. And my walk with Christ suffers because he says, won't you follow me? And I say, absolutely, but not here. Do you see how stupid that is? And that's exactly what we as the church have done for too long. I'll tell you right now, the truth is, our church financially, we have a tough time paying the bills. We're going to have a big old meeting in like two weeks, and we're going to talk about it. Now, I'm not here to tell you, we need your money. God needs your money. No. We want to make disciples. We want people to stop needing money. To stop needing what the culture gives. To stop worshipping at the altar of consumerism and materialism and worshipping at the altar of upgrades and more and more stuff. Because that's not helping anybody. That's not helping anybody. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Because I know we're challenged. And I can't take this lightly. My family can't take this lightly. God doesn't take this lightly. So I just bow with me, would you? Let's pray. Because the true cost of living means we decide today to do more and give more. Not because we have to, but because we can. You see, Jesus, every step, every part of the gospel, the the apostles, everyone says, you know what? You can go as deep as you want to go with God. They're constantly saying that. They're constantly saying, seek Him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That's what following God is about. And we say, Amen, and then we move on and never, never come to the altar like the widow did. And we say, God, I want to give, but, but spontaneously. I, I, I don't want to commit. My challenge to you is to have that conversation. Not just with your spouse. Not just with your quick books. <laughs> but with your Heavenly Father.